welcome to The Practical Prophetic, where prophetic ministry is made practical. I'm Beth Wingate, I'm your host, and welcome to the podcast. On our podcast today, we are going to talk about the reverse exodus. I'm excited to bring you this prophetic look at Scripture as we look at the Old Testament and learn a principle. There's something that I was taught a long time ago, and that's for every New Testament principle, there is an Old Testament picture. Another thing that I learned is that the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed, and the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. And it's all the revelation of the work of Jesus for all mankind. And so I want to jump into this story about the reverse exodus. I have a Bible study, and this is something we've been talking about, and I was very excited to bring it to the podcast audience and to share these things with you that really, this is like part two of the episode we did on Deuteronomistic theology or retributive theology. And let me break that down for a minute, because I believe that this will answer the question about judgment. We hear people say, why would a loving God, you know, do something that seemed to be mean by the world? Why would God allow bad things to happen? Or people say, you are judging me. You know, we hear that all the time. And so maybe this will help to demystify that topic and to answer those questions. And then we want to look at this with prophetic eyes because this has implications for us to understand the entire world prophetically, the times we live in prophetically, and maybe to understand ourselves in a more prophetic light. Now, let me define prophetic again. This is one of the premises of, of this entire podcast. My mission is to dispel all of the mystery about the prophetic. We sometimes limit our definition of the prophetic as to just a future prediction or prophecy. That's only one aspect of the prophetic. The prophetic, if we look at the Hebrew root word that is used for prophecy or to prophesy or prophesying in our Bible in the King James, and we look up what that word means, we get a deeper understanding. Let me sidebar right here and explain that in English, we may have one word like prophecy, but in the Hebrew, it can actually have a root word, and then that root word can have a dozen expanded definitions. So the language of Hebrew is much more vast uh, in its understanding than English. Sometimes we limit things to just one word. And so this is why we need to do word studies. This is the value in word studies of getting a deeper understanding of what the Lord is saying. And so prophecy at its root word, and you can never take away from the root word in Hebrew, you have what's called word wheels. So you have a hub, a root word, and then you can expand that definition, which are like spokes on the wheel, but you can never take away from the hub or the wheel won't roll. And so that's just an easy visual way to understand word wheels. The root word for prophecy is Naba. Strong's 85012, and it just means to be inspired of the Holy Spirit. That's all prophecy is. So prophecy can come in many forms, future prediction being one of those. 
Another one of those would be when God gives you a dream or when God speaks to you in your heart. And so we've looked and explored at all of these definitions. And of course, they always have to line up with scripture. But when we look at scripture through prophetic eyes, so to speak, then we get such a deeper understanding. And I want to talk about the Old Testament for just a minute because I hear some people in the modern church be a little dismissive of the Old Testament. But if you're not reading the stories in your Old Testament, if you're not including that in your Bible reading time, you are missing out on so much in the Word of God. And let me give us a couple of scriptures for that. Second Timothy 3, 14 through 17 talks about the wisdom in the Old Testament. Romans 15, 4 says that the Old Testament was written for our learning. And then 1 Corinthians 10, 11, Paul tells us that the stories in the Old Testament serve as examples to us. So oftentimes the, the, the stories in the Old Testament, yes, they have prophetic layers about Israel, about the nations, about the messianic layer, about Jesus, but they also have a layer that is applicable to our nation today, to our times today, and even to us personally. We should be able to see ourselves when we read stories about the children of Israel. Yes, that's talking about the nation of Israel. Yes, that's talking about the church by extension. And even by further extension, it is talking about us, us as an individual. We are oftentimes like the children of Israel. And so let's use this example, the children of Israel. Let me give us a quick overview of the Exodus story, which is found throughout the book of Exodus. God has his people, and they are in slavery. They are in Egypt. They are in bondage. They are being forced into labor to build the pyramids for the Pharaoh. And God hears their cries. I love that part. God hears their cries. And so he, he raises up a, a man, Moses, who as a baby was uh, put in a basket and Pharaoh's daughter is able to rescue him. In fact, Moses's name means drawn out of the water. And so, and by the way, that's his Egyptian name. Moses has a Hebrew name. You just have to pay attention. His mother calls him good or goodly, it says in the King James. And that in Hebrew is the word Tobias or Tobias. And it means goodly. So that's his Hebrew name. And so there's these little things when you start digging in that that just speak to us so much. But we know him as Moses. And so Moses God raises him up, a very unlikely candidate, a a man who stuttered and who lives in Pharaoh's household, raised in the royal court of Pharaoh. But God ends up using him to deliver the nation, to bring them out of Egypt. And then they go through the wilderness headed for the promised land. Man, there's so many directions I could go right now. So it's very difficult for me to just keep this on the track today with our reverse exodus. But Moses is a messianic figure, just like the Lord has brought us out of quote unquote Egypt, the world, which is a type and shadow of the world to deliver us into a promised land, which is like heaven. And so this wilderness experience is our time here on earth. And so you can see the the macro, the parallel here. And that's one 
prophetic layer. Let me give us some, uh, I'm going to run through this pretty quick. It's, this is really about a four-hour lesson that I'm going to try to condense into 30 minutes, but I still think it will speak to us. So let's talk real quick about that uh, Deuteronomistic theology, also called retributive theology. Sometimes it'll be called Deuteronomic retribution. It's just got a lot of names you would learn if you went to seminary. And so let's talk about this for a minute. So this is something that God gives to Moses when the children of Israel are about to come into the promised land. He has them go to Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal. Now, this is crucial, and God uses these two mountains to drill home this point. And this is really part of a whole nother topic, and I may do a podcast on this too, but this deals with the language and the structure of covenant. And that was done in the form of treaties in the ancient world. And, and this is, goes back to kingdom and understanding how a kingdom works, and this is all entirely separate conversation. But for the sake of this podcast, God uses a very specific language, a specific formula, if you will, that people in that day understood that was that of covenant. And so the idea here is in Deuteronomy chapter 11 and verses 26 through 29, he says, see, I am setting before you today a blessing and a curse, a blessing if, now if is important here, so pay attention. He says, a blessing if you obey the commands of the Lord your God I'm giving you today. The curse if you disobey the commands of the Lord your God. This is crucial. These are the two, you know, the, the two hooks that everything is hung on right here. That every king that was anointed by the prophet, by Samuel, every king that God raised up. Remember, the people wanted a king and God permitted it. It wasn't the way God wanted them to do things. And that leads into another conversation about the perfect versus permissive will of God. But God says, okay, you want a king, I'm going to give you a king. But God enters into a covenant with these kings and he tells them, you know, you, you have to obey to get blessings, but if you disobey, then this is what will happen. In fact, in every one of the kings, and especially the first three kings that enter into a covenant with God, he talks to them about what will happen if they disobey. So when judgment comes, it's no surprise. All right, Deuteronomy 17, verses 14 through 17, this lays down the instructions for the king, because the king is now a representative of all the people. And so he says this, the Lord had given instructions concerning the appropriate behavior of the king of Israel established in the land. Verse 14, when you come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you and you possess it and dwell in it, then say, I will set a king over me like all the nations that are around me. You may indeed set a king over you whom the Lord your God will choose. One from among your brothers you shall set as king over you. You may not put a foreigner over you who is not your brother. Only he must not acquire horses for himself or cause the people to return to Egypt in order to acquire many horses. Since the Lord has said to you, you shall never return that way again. Pay attention right there. And he shall not acquire many wives for himself, lest, he lest they turn his heart away, nor shall he acquire for himself excessive silver and gold. 
Okay, God lays out these conditions. God made it clear to them. He even makes it clear to them what will happen if they break this condition, this treaty, this covenant. And so we see after all of the things that happened with Moses, after the nation of Israel is has come into the land and sets up Israel, they have Joshua come into the land. He purges a good deal of the land. Then we have the era of the judges. And then we have Saul, the first king. And he, he doesn't do a good job. In fact, Samuel will, will tell him that the kingdom will be torn away from you. In fact, he tears, you know, Saul grabs hold and, and his garment is torn. And then we see that God raises up David. And David does a good job. He's got some issues, but he does a good job. And then his son Solomon ends up taking the throne after there's some contention, you know, over the throne with Absalom. And so Solomon was raised up and Solomon builds the temple. He does a lot of great things, but he he didn't do these things listed here in Deuteronomy. He did marry lots of foreign wives. He did accumulate a lot of gold and he did take a census and count, accumulate horses and, and try to acquire an army. The Lord says, I will fight for you. You don't put your trust in chariots and men. I will do the fighting for you. And so Solomon messes up in this one. You know, he's kind of one of those in the gray area figures where he's got some good things and some bad things. And so we see that God tells him that the kingdom as a result of your sin, because you broke the treaty, you broke the covenant, it's going to be divided. That God is going to give 10 of the tribes away and that two, for the sake of David and the sake of Jerusalem, will remain. And so that's what happens after Solomon dies. And we see that this goes into effect. Well, when Solomon dies, his son Rehoboam is raised up. And there's a contender on the scene. Rehoboam basically says, my father oppressed you. I'm going to oppress you even more. And so Jeroboam is raised up. It says by the Lord, by the way. So that that really shakes some people's thinking and their theology. And so Jeroboam is raised up and the kingdom is split. You have Jeroboam in the north and Rehoboam, Solomon's son, in the south. And it can get a little confusing because their names are very similar. But here's where things take an interesting turn. We see in uh, the book of First Kings between chapters 8 and chapters 14, we're going to see something amazing that you can only see it if you're using uh, a prophetic lens so to speak, when you can begin to compare scripture to scripture and you begin to recognize, hey, that's familiar. That reminds me of something. And what we're going to look at today here is what happens when we uh, step outside of God's will, when we break covenant with him, the things that that can bring on our life. Now, I'm not talking about a debate over once saved, always saved. Can you lose your salvation? We're not even having that discussion. I'm just talking about the principle of when you obey the Lord, it brings blessings on your life. And when you disobey the Lord, it undoes those blessings and, and it opens you up for um, I don't like to use the word curse, but but it, it makes you vulnerable to 
the things and the storms of life in the world around us. And so maybe that's a better way to put that. And so I'm not dogmatic. I have a joke. I'm not even puppy-matic. But we're going to look at this pattern and see if it has application for our life. I report you decide. Okay, let's go through this little chart I have. I'm looking at the book of Exodus, and I'm contrasting it with the story in 1 Kings chapters 8 through chapters 14. And we're going to see this amazing parallel that when Israel, as these first three kings are ruling over the land, that they actually are going to produce, because of their disobedience, a reverse of the Exodus story. This is amazing. Now you're like, how can that be? You know, I don't understand. Well, let me explain. So first of all, we see that Pharaoh was oppressing the people when the children of Israel were in the Exodus story right before God raises up Moses and right when God initially raises up Moses. You'll have to excuse me for wrestling my papers because I've got a lot of notes today. (laughs) Just like Pharaoh Solomon begins to oppress the people. Well, guess what? One of the people that was used to carry that out was a ruler in Solomon's court, and his name was Jeroboam. And Jeroboam, in fact, he says, I'm going to make you a ruler. Solomon tells Jeroboam, I'm going to make you a ruler over the house of Joseph. Well, if you understand the story of Joseph, there's another prophetic parallel, but we can't go down that road right now. Okay, so Solomon makes Jeroboam a ruler. He's actually in charge of this labor, this forced labor on the people, just like Moses had been a ruler in Pharaoh's kingdom. The parallels begin. Okay, then we see that Moses will flee Egypt because he kills someone that was abusing a Hebrew a person who was working, and we see that Jeroboam in First Kings twelve two he will flee into Egypt, where he will be in Pharaoh's court and under Pharaoh's protection. So we're kind of we're seeing this reverse, like Moses is fleeing out of Egypt, and Jeroboam is fleeing in to Egypt. Uh, then we see that Moses will come back in Exodus seven verse eight, and he will plead with the Pharaoh to let my people go. And we see that in 1 Kings 12, 4, Jeroboam will then plead with Rehoboam, Solomon's son, hey, you're being oppressive to the people. You need to stop. You know, just don't do that. In fact, there's a, a big, uh, there's a big march on the Capitol. And Rehoboam says, how dare you? You know, he consults with his old people. Then he consults with the young people. And then he makes the decision And uh, he says, you think I'm tough now? (laughs) I'm going to be way tougher. In fact, I'm going to send scorpions (laughs) on the people. I mean, he just really doubles down in the worst way. And so he increases, has the taskmasters increase the labor in chapter 11 and 12. And then we see that Pharaoh does the same thing. He says, oh, I'm going to, you think I'm hard now? You know, you ain't seen nothing yet. And so he does the same thing. It's just the amazing parallels. We see that there's an emphasis on the firstborn in chapter 14 and 1 Kings verses 12 through 13. And then we see that also in chapters 4 and 13 in the Exodus story. And then we're going to see also that Moses establishes 
the Passover as a feast day. Now, I have to stop right here and just talk for a minute about feast days. The Hebrew word there for feast is moed, and it does not mean feast just in the sense of a meal, although they will have a meal on this day. It actually means an appointed time. We call it a a divine appointment, a, a circle date on God's calendar. That's what Dr. Billy Brim calls it, a circle date an appointed time for for the people of Israel to meet with God. And we see that in 1 Kings 12, in verse 28, that Jeroboam is going to make up his own feast day, a reverse of what God told them to do. And God told them to do this day a certain kind of way, and he decides to do his own feast day, just undoing everything that happened in the Exodus. And we see that God will establish the priesthood in Exodus 40. But in 1 Kings 12, we see that Jeroboam just starts picking his friends and the lowliest people to be priests. Now, we could plow right there and have a that will preach. That's a whole lesson right there on the modern, the state of the modern church, that sometimes we, we just pick any old body that you too, if you're a nice looking guy with a cool testimony and the right kind of clothes, you too can be a preacher. You know, I don't want to get way off track, but, but there's a biblical precedent for this. That's, that's, that's a preach right there. Okay, let's move on. We see that uh, when the children of Israel come into the wilderness, that There's going to be this incident in Exodus 32, uh, verse 4, with the golden calf, that while Moses is up there getting the Ten Commandments, the people are having a party led by Aaron, the priest, and they erect a golden calf. And uh, just amazing that this kind of rebellion. In fact, um, Moses comes off the mountain, and um, he creates an altar and he burns all of that stuff tells him put all that junk in the in the pile here he burns it all and uh, he takes the ashes and he makes the people drink it there's a whole story right there that we don't have the whole prophetic layer that we don't have time to go into that either uh, and we're gonna see Jeroboam uh, in first Kings chapter 12 he's gonna erect two golden calves what in the world you know when and that's that was the clue i think for for scholars i i didn't come up with all of this i came up with some of it but some of this i got from some other sources but that was the tip off was the golden calves wait a minute you know and this is a clue to us let's just sidebar real, real quick right here here's a clue to bible study when you see something like oh there's two golden calves well gosh that is reminiscent of the exodus story Go back and read that story and look for parallels because there's a lesson embedded in there. God's wisdom is manifold. There are manifold layers of understanding in Scripture. And so there's always application for us. And so the two golden calves here are the clue that these two stories have some kind of connection. You just have to dig and pray and let the Holy Spirit lead you and find that connection because there's a lesson embedded here. And so we see that uh, one golden calf wasn't enough. He has to have two golden calves in his rebellion and his sinful and evilness against the Lord. And the Lord, look, let's go back. Let's go back to Deuteronomy. The Lord says, see, I am setting today before you a blessing and a curse, a blessing if you obey and a curse 
if you disobey. And so we see here that Israel in its early days is basically doing a reverse exodus. They're putting themselves spiritually back in Egypt. That's the lesson to us. Here's the life application moment for you and I, that it's a sin is a slippery slope. If we begin to rebel, if we begin to disobey the Lord, then we put ourselves back in Egypt, back into bondage, mental, spiritual bondage. And so that's the lesson in this story. In fact, the parallels only grow. Jeroboam in chapter 14, he names his sons after the sons of Aaron, Nahab and Abihu, who offered strange fire. Wow, what a crazy parallel. What a coincidence. (laughs) What an amazing parallel. There's no such thing as coincidence in the Bible. Okay, there you go. There's no such thing as coincidence in the Bible. It's all there on purpose. In fact, when something is a little like, huh, what does that mean? Dig here. X marks the spot. There's a lesson under there. There's gold under that under under that dirt. You just got to dig it out. Uh, let's keep going. We see, you know, that Mo- Moses creates an altar and he has them burn everything, and then he makes the people drink the ashes, which is really weird. And makes people go, "Why would he do that?" Uh, we see in First Kings thirteen that the altar is rent. God sends a prophet who who uh, rebukes him and, and tears the altar. In fact, the, the word there, rent, is a very interesting word in Hebrew. It means he tears it in half, reminiscent of covenant language, and it also means that it to be torn away from uh, between heaven and earth. I mean, this thing goes really deep because remember, there's a temple in heaven that the temple on earth mirrors. Moses was allowed and David was allowed to see the temple in heaven and participate in the worship of heaven. Selah. Just pause there for one minute. Take that in. Wow. And so what these people did was so rebellious. And we see in 1 Kings 13, what does it say there in verses 3 through 5? The ashes were spilled. They drink the ashes in the wilderness after the party at the golden calf. And here the ashes are spilled. Let me just stop and say maybe why that is. Let me just uh, conjecture here why I think that is. God is holy. This temple was holy. And these ashes had been defiled. And so they had to be poured out. They could not be offered up to heaven because God is holy. And that's one reason that the Lord may have done that. Uh, We see in... 1 Kings 13, 6, this strange story about the the king and the prophet and that his hand is withered and then healed, which is reminiscent of Miriam when she was struck with leprosy and then healed. Another parallel between these two stories. And then the, the most interesting part to me is where the Passover parallels begin in 1 Kings 14. We see that Jeroboam's son will die, but not just any kind of way. He was a firstborn, number one. And this has to do with when his wife came back and when it says uh, there's a whole, this is a long lesson that I'm trying to condense really quickly, but it's connected to Passover that when she crosses the threshold, you know, remember the death angel had to pass over the houses where the blood 
was on the the lentils and the doorpost. And so there's a, a parallel there as well. And then lastly, we will see in Exodus 12 that the children of Israel, when they leave Egypt, they take the spoils. In fact, it says that the Egyptian women were just handing them ear, their gold earrings and necklaces and saying, here, just leave, leave, take your plagues with you. You know, we've had enough of the locust and the frogs and the and the blood and the water and, you know, just go, you know, get out of here. And so they leave with the spoils. But we see that in first Kings 14, that the king of where of Egypt in verse 25 and 26, that the king of Egypt will invade Jerusalem and plunder it. And it included them plundering the temple. And so we see this entire reverse of the Exodus story. And the lesson to us goes back to that uh, principle that if you obey the co- language of covenant, if you obey blessings and if you disobey curses. And so I do believe that Jesus has redeemed us from the curse of the law, but it doesn't mean that we are just off the hook, you know, that it's all grace, 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 grace. I, I see it this way, and I'm just going to leave us with this. I was always taught this as a child, even in Sunday school, that God's provision and protection is like an umbrella over us, protecting us from the storms of life. But when we disobey, we step out from under that umbrella of protection, umbrella of protection, making us vulnerable to the storms of life. And so we want God's protection over our lives. And we get that and we get his blessings when we obey him. And that is the lesson in the reverse Exodus story. So continue to leave Egypt, quote the world, (laughs) in parentheses there, the world, leave Egypt behind and enter into the promised land. We serve a living God who loves us. Lord, you took us out of Egypt. Now take Egypt out of us. And so that is our prayer. I hope this blesses and encourages you as you go about your day. Have a blessed day. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Please be sure to hit the subscribe button so you'll be informed next time I post. Thank you again and have a blessed day.